Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton and today my guest is Laura Ponticello. Laura is a keynote speaker. She's an international award-winning author. She is also coach to best-selling authors and thought leaders, and she empowers audiences on a global level to share the power of their stories. Laura, I'm honored to have you on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here today with you. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, One of the things that you and I have in common is our love of books and reading and writing And your own books are very popular, but you're also a coach for authors, and you publish books under your label and a partner label. What types of stories and messages are you drawn to in your work as a publisher? Well, really, they're stories about personal transformation. So in some aspect, someone has experienced either a tragedy, uh, had a triumphant moment, or something like life, let's say they were living their life, they were going every single day in their life, and all of a sudden something shifted for them, and it shifted in a major way. So the types of stories that really speak to me personally are everything from memoirs, self-help, but they have a common theme of overcoming something in the spirit of giving hope or creating really positive dialogue, because I think books are beautiful, because they're words on a piece of paper, but it's the interpretation, right? And each person who reads a book can interpret a book completely different. So the goal for me is just to create a forum, a median, for people to not only share their stories, but for people to know that their voice matters. That's so important. I mean, that sounds like really important work. And it's a, um, an outlet that a lot of people maybe don't have or don't feel like they have. Yeah, I, I think, in all honesty, in this ever-changing world that we live in, we have different experiences. We're raised, you know, each one culturally different, different social economic backgrounds. And at the end of the day, there's a commonality we all have. It's called our humanness. Humanity in itself has incarnated, birthed, because we have different talents, because we've been given different aspects of ourself that are coming into their own. So the aspect of really claiming this voice inside of you um, is not an easy thing. And it takes time because our viewpoints, the essence of who we are, shifts over time. So by giving really a forum, not not a voice to it, but by creating either workshops, books, collaborative efforts where people can come forward to tell their stories, I think is really important in this world because we're all coming from a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And that sounds like maybe something that a message that you might port, might give when you're coaching your authors. And so I want to kind of like segue into a topic that perhaps may come up from time to time with the authors. And that is this question of success. Like what what is it? Like when do you know you've got it, what does it look like, and is it the same thing as happiness? Like, how do you see success? 
Well, success can take so many different forms. Like, for example, uh, one of our authors, Susan Major, um, she was a mom. She's also a teacher and an inspirational speaker, but she wrote a book about overcoming breast cancer. So her idea of success is creating hope through her story for someone else. It may not be attached, for example, to money. It's creating inspiration as a teacher for other people. Um, another client of mine who's a business author, his framework is somewhat different, okay? He's out uh, speaking uh, to different people, and so his messaging, his platform, he would describe success as engaging a part of yourself that creates products, that creates inventions for the world, that creates sustainable businesses. So success can take many different forms. One, it could be uh, fluid abundance. Fluid abundance can be money. It could be you know, monetary possessions. But I think true success is internal happiness. For me, I feel most successful when I can sit down with a cup of tea, share a dialogue with a client about what inspires them, and then put a plan together of how we deploy that. So success, I guess, would include internal factors within myself and in watching other people's journeys. So many of like the newbie authors in teaching Unleashing Creativity, we have you know newbie authors, authors who are in the process of, I've been blogging, I've been writing journals, how do I bring this into a, a book form? The greatest thing for me as a coach is seeing the person who starts the process, their evolution, because they grow into the space of claiming their story because they're vulnerable in the beginning. Is anybody going to like my work? So success for them is probably validated when one person says, wow, I read something you posted or I read your book and it really resonated or I gave it to my mom or something sparked a light in me. So success can be defined so differently by so many people. But I think success and happiness can go hand in hand because the happier we are with ourselves, the more comfortable we are with who we are as individuals, the more we see success in a different way than what we used to. That's a great answer. I love how you described it as being such an individual phenomenon the the success it's, it's a great explanation and I wanted to ask you too like part of it is about allowing it to flow to you about to come to you and sometimes we in our humanness get in our own way so what are some of the ways that you've seen people almost self-sabotage and, and you know kind of get stuck with allowing for success? Well, self-sabotage, um, I've seen that greatly actually uh, in my life. I think probably at one point in time, I was doing that to myself only because I had limited beliefs. So part of the toolkit or the action steps to move beyond that was really getting awareness. So step one was creating awareness within myself. What limited beliefs do I have? The second thing is, how do I overcome those limited beliefs? And then the third thing is, how do I live an empowered life or a life where I'm fully claiming 
my destiny. So in the work, the coaching work, in working with everything from New York Times bestselling authors to coaches themselves or newbie authors, it's first bringing awareness. And how do you do that as a coach? A, you're a listener. B, you provide an environment for the person where they can speak their truth, right? The truth sets us free. So we're so preconditioned in our life, our belief systems through our childhood, through experiences that I guess have knocked us on our butt. And so that's where this concept of sort of grit, dusting yourself off. Like I I remember in the beginning putting on my big girl underpants, right? So when I would have a moment of self-sabotage where I'd say, I believed in the deepest part of my heart that I was worthy of something. I was worthy of being a global publisher. I was worthy of being a best-selling author. But somehow, vibrationally, there still were things I had to work on in myself. And it all came back down to limited beliefs. So if I thought the biggest dream for myself and if I believed, if I saw something already happening. So one of the personal, I think, really monumental shifts is I started spending daily time, about 15 minutes a day, in visualization. I saw it and I believed it. I not only saw it like a movie playing in my head, but I felt it in my body. I started feeling it. But the interesting thing about that is we can get too attached to an outcome. So you've got to give yourself permission to claim it, to feel it, but to not be so attached because the universe will line it up in maybe a way we thought it would and maybe a different way. So not get attached to the details. Exactly. And we can get so bogged down in the details because sometimes in life, the more vulnerable we feel, the more we want to control everything. And especially for entrepreneurs and business owners, because we have so much on our plate, so many tasks we have to accomplish. And as I would say creative beings, people who are creating services, products that are meeting a need in the marketplace, there's part of us that's always challenging ourselves to think bigger. And how do you balance the tasks you need to do that are creating revenue for yourself at hand to getting to be a visionary person. So it's that conflict of the doer versus the visionary. Yeah, it's so important when we are running our businesses to take time out to work on your business, not just in your business, because working in your business in this day-to-day task-driven, you know, you've got to pay the bills, you got to do this, you got to do that, is not really the best way to grow a business. The best way to grow a business is to step back from the business and get into that visionary place where you're doing that long-term strategic planning, where you're seeing things from a different perspective. And so many of us, you know, it's hard to take the time to do that, and especially when you're not intentional about it. Intentions, I think, have a lot to do with it. So um, when I think about authors, okay, coming forward, one of the key things is that you've spent all this time writing a book. And also as an entrepreneur, you've spent all this time, let's say, building a client base. But if no one knows about your products or services or about your book, you can write the best, greatest book in the world. 
But if you're the only one in your family that knows about the book, it's just going to sit there and be the best, greatest book that you've created for yourself. And that's okay. But part of that is stretching a person to think, what's next? What now? So I ask a simple question. So you've written a book, what now? That question of what now, whether you're a business person, whether you're a CEO, we have to spend time in reflection. What now? And what now obviously is more of a present term, right? So what now? What do we have to do today? But then the next question beyond what now is what about tomorrow, right? And so it's interesting because that can create sort of a dichotomy at times because I strive to live in, in the present time, to be grateful, to be aware, to be open to the universe, to universal signs, but I've really had to allocate time to that visionary, to opening myself up to think what beyond the now, and the greatest, easiest, simplest way to do that is once you get connected with your breath, if you take a few minutes each day, breathe, center yourself, and you open yourself up to creativity. Creativity can flow. Creativity is like an ocean, okay? It's vast. It's forever going. It has an abundance beyond itself. We have this ocean within ourselves of purpose, of creativity, but it's like running water. We turn it on or we turn it off. I believe the only way you can really turn that on is to center yourself to breathe, to listen to yourself. So I think one of the biggest hurdles that I've seen for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's what I call the entrepreneurial leap. How do you go from, let's say, uh, having products and services to be that million-dollar entrepreneur? How do you take that leap forward? You've got to get tuned in with who you really are, and you've got to get open to creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And I liked what you said about looking forward to tomorrow, too, because it reminded me of, I had um, gone some time ago to a writer's workshop, and the host of the workshop is a publisher, and one of the things that they talked about was sometimes people have a goal, and they think that when they've reached this goal, they've made it, and they're done. So for many authors, Oprah's book club book you know to be at Oprah's book is like the epitome of awesomeness and that's what so many people shoot for but what was very eye-opening for me was at this workshop hearing that even authors that had made that cut made that book list had um, a couple of years later a year or two later had not been doing so well because they neglected to capitalize on that, to plan for the future, to to gather email addresses, to keep people in their funnel, you know, to be really realizing that it's not just a, a one and done. Like you don't just get to that thing and you're good forever. Like there's always another goal. There's always another something to strive for. We're on a continuum of creation. We're on a continuum of... Um, expanding our horizons, right? I think um, the concept of expansion energy, when you talk about expanding your horizons, and also in the industry what we call kind of a one-time wonder, which first off, let me honor anyone, just the act of writing a book is an incredible feat. 
to be an entrepreneur and to have an idea for a business and to have the courage to go start that business is so admirable. But then it, what it really comes down to is how do you catapult that business forward? How do you catapult that book forward? And it's, it's connection to people. At the end of the day, it comes down to connection of people. So when we teach the classes, one of the things we say is, okay, you're publishing your book. The book is out there in the marketplace. There's this first ring of 50. So the first people who always buy your book are your friends and family. What happens after the first ring of 50 sort of dissipates? Well, now take that to New York Times level. So their first ring of 50 is a million, pe a million people plus, a million to three million, let's say, or 100,000 people. Well, unless you're in consistent communication with people, people are going to shift their attention. People are going to shift their energy. But also in our evolution, we may recalibrate ourselves because we have an interest in now doing something different. So part of the creative dance within ourselves is saying the more we can get aligned with what our purpose is, there can be multiple things that fall underneath that purpose. Like in the space that you and I are in, it could be coaching uh, business owners, coaching CEOs, coaching coaches, coaching authors. There's no limitation on coaching, but our creative essence, and I'll speak for myself, what do I love most? I love writing, I love teaching, and I love speaking to people. So why do I have to be limited to just do one of those things? That's a limited belief. So if you're a New York Times bestselling author, you didn't necessarily write the book to set out with the intention of being a New York Times bestselling author. You wrote it because you had a, a credible story to tell. But then what happens is very challenging because that's a population that I also coach. There's that expectation that every single book out of the gate is going to be a bestseller. And some books are better than other books. And it's not what makes a better book. Some of it has to do with timing, universal timing. It's things that are going on in the world. Like, for example, when I went to Book Expo in New York City last year, a lot of the books that were being featured were political in nature. Okay? Uh, Hillary Clinton's book was really on the radar for some people. There was a lot of buzz about Chris Matthews' book, which is about uh, Kennedy. He was just at the Miami Book Festival. So there was interest sort of around political, historical books that doesn't take away from self-transformation because that space is growing by leaps and bounds. It's not that one genre has more pop popularity over another genre. It's that a book is either going to meet a need in the marketplace, like a product or service, or it's so revolutionary. It's pushing the envelope. And to me, the coolest books are new thought books. They're books that encourage me to think so different than what I thought or help me enhance, fine-tune, reframe, refine something. And those, I guess, when I think about entrepreneurs or, or business people, it's honoring where you are, but it's really encouraging you to say, how do you get out of that comfort zone? And that's why I think mastermind groups are really helpful or collaborative spaces to seek out what else is going on in the world, who's doing things really well. And that's what I think is so cool about your podcast and the kind of work you do with the concept of Ready, Set, Grit, 
it's saying, okay, how do you put things into action? How do you have that grit, that tenacity to make it happen? But how do you, man, break through those walls that are limiting you so that you can soar in whatever that means for you? Yeah, I, I, I love talking to you because not only are you a super smart businesswoman, a very savvy but you've also got the spirituality at your core, and it never feels like those two things are out of alignment with one another. So I want to ask you, I'm going to switch the conversation a little bit and ask you about money, because a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people sometimes feel that money is um, something that cannot be aligned or well aligned with a purpose-driven, heart-driven, heart-centered, you know, spiritual business. And, you know, not that those spiritual and business are exclusive of one another. But have you come to peace with money? Have you come to, you know, accept it? What are your thoughts on it? And um, what would what would you like to share on this topic? Well, I, th- I think it's a great, a great topic. I remember reading Susie Orman's book on women and money. Okay, Um, I grew up in an environment where my mom was the office manager, her brother was a periodontist, she went to work for, let's say, the family-run business. My father has incredible work ethic, uh, and he really was focused on teaching me to work hard. Like, it was a mindset, work hard, get ahead. My mother, because she came from a Catholic background, um, taught us, okay, dad taught us work hard, mom taught us serve others, be kind to others, volunteer. So what happened is I evolved as a businesswoman and as a leader, I came into a space of really a a dichotomy where I had two different flows of conversation going on, work hard to get ahead, right? The more hours you put, the more money you're going to make, the more clients you can have, the more everything can line up with money, but then there was my mother's voice, volunteers, serve others. So it was getting crystal clear, which brings me back to when a friend gave me Susie Orman's book. Believe it or not, that was like maybe only 14 years ago, okay? And I'm, 40, I'm 49 now. My mother saw money only as a necessity for livelihood, puts clothes, housing, you know, water, the basic necessities. I came from a working class family. And so money provided, which was beautiful, and also education. My parents really strove education. So money would go towards education, which was important. So part of me being a women business owner, one of the habits I had that I really wasn't aware of early on is I gave a lot of my time away for free. It's different with going to a networking meeting and sharing dialogue with someone in the spirit of collaboration, but I was actually going to meetings, okay, giving my time, not charging them for my time. How many lunches could I have that I wasn't charging for? And what ended up happening is I was getting depleted. So in giving away my time, because I had been raised in a mindset of serve others, but yet to think bigger, I needed capital. So to grow my business, to do the creative work that I wanted to do, to start the publishing company, to produce audio books, I had to bring more money in or raise the capital. So therefore, I had to really get crystal clear with claiming my worth. 
So money is a very, very interesting thing because a lot of spiritually kind of centered people, they, they would say, oh, I, I know my worth, but my role here is to help spread love, to teach light to others, to help heal people. And ultimately, the more money I feel that I'm bringing in, I, I tithe, which is a concept some people may be aware of, but I take 10% of everything that I earn and give it back to the community. And I will only sign authors that have the same mindset because I think we have a social responsibility to help others. But ultimately, the kitty's got to start with me. The other thing I was doing was discounting the cost of my products and services. Because people would say, oh, wow, a coaching package costs $5,000. Well, yes. Is your future, you know, not worthy of doing this? Here's the value that I'm getting. I'm looking to work with people now as another product offering. I would do a call that would be very nominal. For one hour, you could come to me kind of as an expert and do a call for $350. So I had two kind of opposite spectrum offerings. And when I started, I think the universe set this up for me because a few people said, oh, I don't know if I can afford that. It's okay to say, well, you know what? If you can't afford it, I'd love to share a dialogue with you when you can. But what I decided is I was going to create an abundance value system for myself where I claimed money so that I could take two hours of my time per month and give it to someone who couldn't afford my services so now my mind shift has sort of shifted where I'm charging what I think I'm worth in the marketplace, but it allows me to not only tithe, it allows me to gift without giving away all the free lunches. Let's say I was doing 10 before. And this is a challenge I think that spiritual people have and honestly entrepreneurs. It's a difference with meeting with someone to collaborate, to say how can we use products and services. But if you give it away, you're going to be depleted. Our energy is money. Money is a vibrational energy. And we have got to claim that for ourselves. Yeah, and I think what you're describing, a lot of times women are the ones, you know, always being like, oh, I'll do that. I'll just do that for you. Or or really giving their, their goods and services away. I definitely see it more with women than men. And, and good for you for standing up, realizing your worth, and realizing how you can give back better by charging what you're truly worth. And I think it's, it's an interesting thing. So why are men more comfortable than women with money? Like what is it vibrationally that's different? And I'm not putting all women into this category, but it is interesting because we're on equal footing, okay? Men and women create, collaborate together. So as we think about our evolution, kind of as women business owners, as entrepreneurs, You've got to, with your intentions, get crystal clear about your belief, your belief systems around the concept of money, because otherwise it's going to be up and down. See, my lesson from 13 years ago is I wasn't crystal clear because I had incongruent beliefs about money. I am worthy of money. I'm going to give away my time for free. It was all over the roadmap, and so I'm trying to meet myself in the middle space now, and I think that's what people should do. It's We are here to help each other, and we should mentor each other. I'm a big proponent of mentoring entrepreneurs, mentoring other people. And also, there's projects that are going to be near and dear to our heart that maybe we say, okay, if I have this other project that's making me abundance, 
if I'm working with a nonprofit, I can, you know, shift my offering to them. That's part of, of the middle space. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's beautiful. And I want to talk about another way that you help, which is through your writing. So um, you said that your first book, Live the Life of Your Dreams, was a stream of consciousness type of book. And then the next book, The Art of Self-Transformation, was a totally different experience for you in, in writing the book. How was your process different for those two? Well, I love talking about this topic because I think each person's writing process is so uniquely different. Um, the first book was a conscious stream because I actually had journal writings that I'd kept for 13 years. And the journal writings were based on experiences, places I'd traveled to, or thoughts, really introspective thoughts. And what I, I felt very strong about is that I didn't want the book to just be about me, I guess, to be honest with you, because I felt that um, the concept of living the life of your dreams, what inspired someone in their daily life? So I interviewed and surveyed a 1,000 women on what inspired them. I asked three questions. What inspired them in their daily life? What actions did they take around their daily life of, of lining up with what inspired them? And how much time per day they took on self-care? Out of all the women I interviewed, the most shocking part of the whole uh, process for me is 15 minutes or less on self-care. Wow. Because women were all things to everyone but themselves. And so I wrote the first book um, with moms in mind, working moms. And uh, it, it was very interesting because I wrote it so that any page could be open for a new bit of inspiration, knowing that that demographic didn't have a lot of time. So I wrote it in snippets. And so the creative process, the hardest part was the fluidity of, okay, all these journal writings, what did I want to extract out of it? So I, I wrote the whole book. Then I went and I surveyed the thousand women met with people individual, and then I found the commonality of self-care. So I then went back into the book that I wrote, and I weaved in their tips. And it took about two years to write the book. I thought it was going to be much quicker than that. It wasn't. And I think that book is a nice kind of introduction into how do you not only take time for self-care, how do you open yourself up to the wisdom within so the second book, after meditation, this process was entirely different. Um, the second book, after meditating on Sundays, I had a great stillness within myself. And I really was quiet enough, I say, to hear myself breathing, which means I could hear my own wisdom. And I sent letters to myself. And it was over 13 months that I sent these letters. They were always on a Sunday. And I never set out to write the book. But at the end, about month 10, I knew I had a book there because I kept like almost channeling or something inside of me broke open so much that I really wanted to encourage women to go way beyond the concept of minimal self-care into how do you discover the essence of you. And not only how do you discover it, how do you claim the fullness of who you are? Plus, I was a totally different woman than the woman who wrote the first book. I had evolved. I had grown. 
And really it was um, the narrative voice within me had expanded that I had to share a different side of myself, but I still wanted to weave in other people's perspectives. So I included like life events that had happened to me. And the second book, The Art of Self-Transformation, was topical essays like what is unconditional love, what is forgiveness, what is the art of clarity. So um, it was interesting how all that came to be. And then I wove in what I considered universal prayers to help amplify and heal as part of the journey. That's really interesting. And interesting that some of your readers noticed that the two books kind of segued into each other and even went as far as to predict what your next book would be. And you said that that was not your intention when you were writing the book. So it's interesting how it worked out. What, what is the next book well, to be? Well, I'm smiling because I, I went to keynote speaking engagement last May. And it was a really phenomenal experience for me. It was 150 entrepreneurs. I would say 85% were women. And the, I got referred in. And the reason that they asked me to come and speak was because of the significance of the butterfly. So the butterfly, if you think about it, is ever-changing, ever-evolving. But for the butterfly to really, what I consider, emerge its wings, you have to spend time in the cocoon stage, in nourishing that which is within. And many times, as business owners, we're running so fast, we forget to pause, to notice what's around us, and to get crystal clear with clarity of where we should go next. So a lot of the readers on my first and, two, first and second book said, wow, you know, when's your third book coming out? Which is, of course, a compliment. But it was around this theme of adaptability, of changing and growing. And what happened to me in uh, this keynote speech, which is called Ignite Your Inner Leader, I was asked to speak about my own personal transformation. How did I shift from being a type A corporate executive to then starting my own company? But where did I weave in spirituality? How did that become part of who I was, the essence? What benefit did that have? And I was very, very personally inspired. There was almost like a magnetic... That's a word I don't usually use in my vocabulary, but when people come together in collaboration, there's an energy. In that room and talking about my personal transformation, I realize that this common element of adaptability, of ever expanding our wings, of growing, evolving, it required risk-taking. And if we consider staying the same, we're not going to evolve and grow. So I started out down this path, writing this leadership book, Ignite Your Inner Leader. And I, my sister's my beta reader, who is a mom, corporate executive. Uh, she runs um, a very dynamic organization. And she said, you have a lot of entrepreneurial lessons in here. You kind of got two voices going. You have, Here's what leaders and coaches should do to really claim their infinite power to magnify, to amplify. But you have this entrepreneurial, spiritual chick that's talking. I think you've got two different people 
that are talking in the same book. And then I hired a transformation coach, Sheila Applegate, who, who was amazing. And she really brought to my awareness, it was claiming the I voice. See, in my writer's voice, I always wrote from the we voice because I always see collective consciousness. When you claim your authentic power, leaders have to claim the I voice. The I voice is I am here to help other people. I'm a creator of products. I am a light worker. Sometimes there's a diversion or a, a wrestling between yourselves of helping other people versus because you think it's self-serving at times, helping yourself first. So what ended up happening is these two kind of different voices going in the book became two separate books. So the book that I'm actually going to be releasing in the spring is now called The Entrepreneurial Compass, The Keys to Unlocking Joy, Balance, and a Life of Prosperity. And those women in that room, plus the 15 men that were in the room in Cleveland when I gave the speech, really empowered me by sharing one-on-one -on -one some of their risk-taking. And I realized, because I'm an entrepreneurial at heart, that that book was birthed out of me, and I couldn't just sort of... Because a lot of times when you write, you're not going to always publish what you write. You know, you're fine-tuning your voice, you're getting crystal clear on your messaging. So... It is interesting, and I and I struggled within myself, you know, is the time right, is the time not right? So I thought, I'm going to produce the entrepreneurial book, put that out. I'm going to continue to build the momentum, encourage people to adapt, to uh, adapt, in, and I say adaptability, but really adaptability for me is expansion energy. It's probably not the right word. And then uh, see what the universe holds for me. Well, that's so exciting. I can't wait for your book to come out. I'm sure it will be fabulous. I'm sorry I gave you a very long-winded answer. No, it's, it's <laughs> But so, it's been a process. That's yeah. why I wanted to share for people. It's a process. And so each of us are so hard on ourselves at times. So be patient. Be gentle. See your full potential. But think about that tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things about writing for me is is not only patience, but that evolution that you talked about and um, realizing that it is okay to let it all happen at the right time, to let it happen when it's supposed to happen. And to me, I'm not a patient person, so it, it really has been a personal evolution uh, to get to, to peace with that. So thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you for being on the show. It was really great talking to you i wish we had another half hour we're gonna to have to have you come back on the show when your book comes out i would love that i love talking to people about their business lessons but more than that i love hearing people's stories because i think we all have an incredible gift that we give to this planet we give the gift of ourselves and self-worth is so incredibly important and self-respect we're, we're our own greatest mirror. And if we don't love ourselves, how do we expect people to buy our products and services? So we've got to be our own best advocate. When we look ourselves in the mirror, we've got to claim that at such a deep, powerful level that we are worthy of our destiny. We are. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today, Laura. Thank you all for listening to the show. 
My guest was award-winning author, publisher, and book coach, Laura Ponticello. You can find this complete interview, links to Laura's website and social media pages, on our website, readysetgrit.com. Thanks again for joining us, and check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on how to turn your daydream into a phenomenal success. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our eBooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit, inspired actions, real results.